Hi, I'm Jeremy Hall, and you're listening to the Kingdom Ethics Podcast. Today with me is Reverend David Gushy to deliver a sermon. David, would you preach us a sermon, an, a good ARC sermon? Well, thank you, Brother Jeremy. Here we go. This sermon was preached on January 5th, 2021. I'm just, I'm excerpting here, but it's, it's too good. America is the last bastion of Christian freedom. It's the last bastion of capitalism. I declare unto you that President Donald Trump is going to stay for four more years in the White House. Can I get an amen? Amen. We're a mighty army. They've got to listen. They can't ignore us. Our churches have been backed into a corner. We pray for Enrique Terrio, and Lord, we pray for his organization. That's the Proud Boys. And Lord, they may get a bum rap in the news media, but we just thank God that we can lock shields. And we can come shoulder to shoulder with people that still stand up for this nation and still love the rights and the freedoms that we have. Because Lord, we got to recognize the fact if we don't have convictions worth dying for, we don't even know what living really is. So God, help us to live, help us to fight, and if need be, lay down our life for this nation. Uh, this sermon with an altar call was preached by Pastor Greg Locke on January 5th, 2021, sending the troops into battle the next day. And thus we begin our chapter on authoritarian reactionary Christianity in Trump's United States. Here's, here's how I open the chapter. I'm a lifetime citizen of the United States and have followed news and politics closely here for 50 years. That makes this chapter harder rather than easier to write. I know too much and care too deeply. I've seen better days and have been anguished by recent developments. I write with the broken heart of a frightened U.S. patriot and a mortified U.S. Christian. To steady my approach and ensure as much objectivity as possible, I will attempt to follow the same paradigm as in the other country chapters. And so then I, uh, I quote the Freedom House evaluation of the U.S. that happened in early 2022. They gave us an 83. Out of 100? Out of 100. That's a pass? That's uh, Is that a B <laughs> at Mercer? Uh, it at might be. Mercer? That's a C. That's a C. Uh, at McAfee right now, an 83, I believe, is a low B. Mm. Okay. We're not on a 10-point. Right. So that's a low B. This is what Freedom House says. The United States is a federal republic whose people benefit from a vibrant political system, a strong rule of law tradition, robust freedoms of expression and religious belief, and a wide array of other civil liberties. However, dun-dun-dun, however... In recent years, its democratic institutions have suffered erosion as reflected in rising political polarization and extremism, partisan pressure on the electoral process, bias and dysfunction in the criminal justice system, harmful policies on immigration and asylum seekers, and growing disparities in wealth, economic opportunity, and political influence. So... Remember, I, I mentioned that what Freedom House does is it it assesses the direction of movement. They call it their Nations in Transit report, which I think is brilliant. Because nations like people 
like churches, like any organization, are always moving somewhere. Mm -hmm. We're not fully formed. Right. You're moving more democratic or less democratic. So what they do on the Freedom House website, which I strongly suggest people look at, is they give you like an arrow pointing the direction, more democratic or less democratic. And the U.S. was trending less democratic. I haven't looked at this report in late 2023. I wonder what they're saying now. But 83, for for our old democracy that was a model for democracy around the world, is not a great score. Um, so, so this chapter, of course, brings it home. This chapter is about um, not just the shocking threat to the transfer of power after November 2020, but also the constituency for this. The constituency of people who, if, say, uh, Trump had managed to call out the military and suspend the transfer of power, or um, the mob had managed to intimidate Mike Pence into not certifying the results of the election, or um, a state of emergency had been declared because half the Congress had been murdered in the Capitol on January 6th. Um, Or we had had violence in the streets as the transfer of power was blocked and then half of the country came out to protest and then the military came out with their guns or the National Guard and then you have a bloodbath. In other words, we were really close to real disaster in the period from November 2020 to January 2021. Really close. And you have to study what happens in other countries to see how close we actually got. Right. It, it was a near miss. Have you been have y'all been reading about like airplanes that are coming into land and it turns out there's a plane on the runway because there's an air traffic control issue? Right. Uh, right. Uh, plane lands feet apart. Uh, right. You know, um, Ashley's a flight attendant. I know she would be aware of worries about the air traffic control system not actually doing its or being under stress, not, you know, Mm -hmm. not. It's like those airplanes almost crashed on the runway for us. There's there's a report every if you follow uh, NASA's newsletter stuff, there's a report every couple of weeks. Oh, a meteor the size of Texas passed between us and the moon. We saw it when it after it was gone. Yeah, so good news. Uh it's gone. Um so the January 6th committee which was really led by Liz Cheney who is one of my heroes of the pro-democracy movement in the US, former representative, very conservative, daughter of Dick Cheney, one of my least favorite politicians. Um Liz Cheney was bounced from power because a a Trumpist primary person defeated her in Wyoming. Um but this is the uh, this is the declaration of what happened um, between November 2020 and January 2021, and and I think that this is indisputable. Um, but this is what Liz Cheney said to summarize: President Trump engaged in a massive effort to spread false and fraudulent information to the American public claiming the election was stolen from him. Second, 
President Trump corruptly planned to replace the acting attorney general so that the Department of Justice would support his fake election claims. Third, President Trump corruptly pressured Vice President Pence to refuse to count certified electoral votes. Fourth, President Trump corruptly pressured state election officials and state legislators to change election results. That happened here in Georgia, and he's going to be on trial for it. It was recorded, so that one mm -hmm. could not be missed. Five, President Trump's legal team and other Trump associates instructed Republicans in multiple states to create false electoral slates and transmit those slates to the Congress. Six, President Trump summoned and assembled a violent mob in Washington and directed them to march on the U.S. Capitol. Whether those are the right verbs to describe what, what his relationship to that mob was is what will be the subject of criminal trial in January, I believe it is, um, in uh, D.C., and so many want to downplay January 6th. And we're, we're talking about here is a near miss. And there are folks that are like, it was nothing. Why are we still talking about this? And then there, right. there's widely believed completely different versions of the event. The police let them in. Well, it, they were completely peaceful. No, the, those weren't Trump supporters or those weren't Republicans or those weren't conservatives. That was... Another group. It was uh, Antifa, and they were trying right. to make us look bad. The old Antifa play, right? It's what, and, and then, then normal people are saying these things. Well, because the truth is unbearable. The seventh thing that Liz Cheney said was, as the violence was underway, President Trump ignored multiple pleas for assistance and failed to take immediate action to stop the violence and instruct his supporters to leave the Capitol. What we know is that he watched TV all afternoon, kind of waiting to see what would happen. Um, so that was the summary of the January 6th committee report. Um, and of course, that committee was shut down when the Republicans took Congress. And But that report was done before. And, and there it is, a disinformation campaign, manipulation of the Department of Justice, which was largely fa failed, Pressure on Vice President Pence, which to his eternal credit, he resisted. Um, pressure on state election officials and in Georgia and the other states that 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 uh, pressure was resisted. Um, enough anyway. Uh, the false electoral slates that happened. Some of the people who were involved in those slates or named on those slates are going to be on trial in Georgia. And in Michigan, I understand. Mm -hmm. Um and then, of course, the mob activity on January 6th and uh, not lifting a finger to stop it. Um, but, you know, so that's just the the drama that we watched here. In a sense, this book is about trying to understand the deeper forces behind all of that. Um, and I think that the big picture is that as uh, political scientists... Um, Stephen Levitsky and Daniel Zablat said Trump's authoritarian tendencies were visible from the time of his first campaign in the summer of 2015. Um, so like Bolsonaro, he campaigned as an authoritarian. And um, I read a number of studies in working on this book that said in a healthy democracy, what's supposed to happen is that people who show authoritarian tendencies are 
their rise is halted within the system. Like the power brokers within the political party find a way to coalesce to stop him from getting to be a major candidate. Or the people who have their own allergy to authoritarianism, they say, oh, no, no. Okay, we have 17 choices in 2016. Let's pick somebody else. Right? They're the fail-safes along the way didn't seem right, to trip. There are, are fail-safes, right? The primary system uh, was supposed to give us somebody different on the Republican side. Um, the Republican National Committee is supposed to organize. Um, the uh, the existing leaders in Congress are supposed to be... All the fail-safes failed. And so we got an authoritarian, and then he just barely got elected in 2016. And then once somebody like that becomes president, they have massive powers at their disposal. And then... And so that's what we have. The story of 2016 forward is the checks and balances of the system being tested. Um, and in a democracy, the ultimate fail-safe is the election process itself. Um, and in 2020, it was close, but Trump was voted out of office. And then he tried to hang on to power, but the fail-safe did not fail um, ultimately. And so he had to leave office on January 20th, 2021. And one might have thought that would be the end of him. Remember, there was a there was an impeachment related to the Ukraine deal a year before that. And then there was the impeachment related to the insurrection. Both of them did not get enough votes to convict. And so he became still a live factor in our politics and now the leading candidate for president again on the Republican side for 2024. Then, you know, for me, Trump is kind of like, did you ever see Fatal Attraction, Jeremy? That movie? <laughs> yes. Remember how Glenn Close plays this aggrieved uh, mistress, right? Mm-hmm. Who, who just won't go away. And she, I think she sends like a a dead bunny. I don't know. I may be confusing this with The Godfather. But anyway, <laughs> the scene I'm thinking yeah, about. Yeah, she left a, a, a horse's head in his bed. That's not it. That's different. <laughs> um, but the thing I'm remembering is like, you think she's dead in a bathtub? And and then she emerges from the bathtub with a knife, still trying to kill. Who is the bad? Who is the guy? Is it Michael Douglas? I don't remember. But oh, it's been like so in, long. In every horror movie, there's the thing where you think the bad guy is dead, but they 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 rise. Jason up. reaches out of the lake and <laughs> grabs the guy out of the boat. Uh, they rise up one more time. Um, our nightmare is not over. Um. And, but anyway, the book is, yeah, it's, it's about that specific nightmare, but it's also about this unbending, um, base August, 2021, Robbie Jones did some polling asking, uh, two questions is, do you believe Donald Trump is a true patriot? And then do you believe that the election was stolen. Okay. So here's your reading comprehension quiz, Jeremy. What percentage of Americans polled completely or mostly agree Donald Trump is a true patriot? In August of 2021, closer to the insurrection and all that. It's got to be high. It can't be more than half because they didn't win. Right. 40s. 
34%. And what percentage agreed that the uh, completely or mostly agreed that the election was stolen? I'm going to go 40 again. 29. Okay. That's, that makes me feel better. Those numbers may be higher now. However, among white evangelical Protestants. Why are you going to do this to us? I'm doing this to you, Jeremy. Among white evangelical Protestants, Donald Trump is a true patriot. What percentage? 80. 68. <laughs> and the election was stolen from him. White evangelical Protestants. 70. 61. Uh, but that was in 2021. My guess is that these numbers would be higher now. And uh, I think I saw a poll that had 78% of white evangelicals expressing support for him again for president in 2024. Um, I talk about we're seeing ever deeper right-wing radicalization. And it's on a spectrum. You do have people who are getting their guns out or uh, getting them loaded up and polished up and and ready for whatever might happen in 2024. People, um, you know, now there's a lot more law enforcement activity paying attention to right-wing radical groups, right? Um, the fact that so many people who rushed the Capitol on January 6th are in prison and the Proud Boys people, including Enrique Tarrio, is in prison for a long time is a bit of a disincentive for doing it again, right? It's one of those fail-safes. Uh, and the arc that's the judicial system, an independent judiciary. Now, I think if Trump is elected president, he will pardon everybody convicted of a federal crime in relation to the insurrection. Is that what people want? 78% of evangelical Christians, does that sound good to you? To pardon people who violently attacked the U.S. Capitol on January 6th? Is that like a price worth paying so you can get Make America Great Again round two? Um, uh, you can get support for traditional values. Um, but anyway, so you do have a spectrum. You have people who are yearning for a, a radical change in our political system, something more like Orban, um, who think that if they could just get Trump elected or somebody like DeSantis or an alternative elected, Somebody who will snip, snip, snip at the at the fail safes in our liberal democracy so that it is more like an illiberal quasi democracy, a Christian godly republic or something. Um, because and, as the uh, Speaker of the House said in an interview about a week ago, he talks like a preacher, doesn't he? Friend, let me just correct you. We are, are not a democracy. Democracy is two wolves and a sheep. Vote them on what's for dinner. This is a republic. I actually have a discussion of that issue in the book, Democracy versus Republic. Um, that is a relatively new trope that is being used only on the right to kind of, I think, uh, prepare the way for uh, delegitimizing democracy. Um, so I have two pages on it. Um, and what people actually mean by that i mean what they how they would operationalize that i'm not exactly clear um um one article i read traced this um move to say america is not a democracy but a republic to the john birch society that right-wing uh group coming uh 
beginning in the 50s and 60s. Some people think that what is meant by that is suggestion that states and legislators, rather than the voters, should determine presidential electoral votes. Um, or that conservative Christian values, rather than majority vote preferences, should prevail. Um, I looked around to the history. I also looked at how so many of the world's countries say that they are republics. What it generally means is republic means representative democracy in which instead of direct democracy, representatives vote the will of the people, you know, to the best of their ability. And also that majoritarian power is checked in a variety of ways. So rough, rough sketch in a direct democracy without adequate rule of law. If a majority wants to do something, it's just able to do it. Two wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner, right? Because there's not a system in place to protect the sheep. Right. But in a democracy with the rule of law and human rights protections, wolves are not allowed to eat the sheep. Even if they would like to by majority vote. So ironically, these people who say we're not a democracy, we're a republic. I think are actually sharpening up their carving knives to eat to eat the people uh, and the rights of the people they don't agree with. It's a classic example of, I think, projection. Um, in our democracy, all kinds of things can't be done even to one individual just because they have legal rights. You can't throw the most unpopular person in jail without without due process. And without their day in court, because we have we have um, civil liberties and civil rights and we have the rule of law. Um, but one aspect of the rule of law is you cannot suppress minority religions or unpopular opinions because you happen to be the Christian majority somewhere. So it looks to me like this language of we're not a democracy, we're a republic is a way of softening up people for a weakening of of the rule of law. So he um, here's something I, I wonder about, here's something I wonder about a lot of things like that when when we can kind of spot these dog whistles. Yeah, and, that's what it is. That's what I'm saying. How mm -hmm. aware the practitioner is of what they're doing. Like when when the speaker says we're not a democracy, we're a republic, friend, when he says that, does he know what operating system he's running? Does he know do, is he actively sharpening his carving knife or is he just riding a wave that's going somewhere that's just the way people around him talk that's a great question and you would have to ask him that right what do you mean by that and where did you get that language um because it is not language that is spoken outside of the right but it is spoken more and more on the right um, in the book, I talk about, um, conservative Christian school literature that teaches kids, um, see if I can find it, I really want to find it again, that, that teaches kids that the way that our nation should be governed is as a Christian constitutional republic. I remember when I discovered to my horror that my daughter in a Christian school was being taught something called the principal approach. 
And the principal approach, which is still being offered in curriculum, says this. The form of government proven to best protect life and property is a Christian constitutional federal republic. Civil government takes into account man's sinful nature and exists to secure the God-given rights of the individual. Civil government is based upon God's law, not the will of the people. Okay. So, hypothesis. Mike Johnson has picked up this language from the Christian school, homeschool, Christian right subculture, which is saying... Well, the U.S. essentially took a wrong term when it disestablished Christianity and did separation of church and state and entrusted too much power to godless people who um, pass laws that violate God's law. I heard this move being made in a different way recently. Okay. And I don't remember which talking head was saying it they're trying to redefine it's a um um from atlanta the red state guy shoot eric erickson yeah it's his group um it was huh? someone in that network they're working really hard to redefine the pursuit of happiness what that wow. means as the pursuit of christian virtue based on a letter from Jefferson to one of his daughters where he says that vir virtue is happiness. And so that's what it means over here. So you have freedom to do what is right in this. You can do whatever you want in line with our understanding of the Bible. Yes. Yes. And that's terrifying. And, that also fits with the idea that that there can be no well-ordered community without virtue. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of Christian virtue. Right. Um, there can be no well-ordered community without virtue. And I actually believe that community well-being does depend on a certain set of virtues. I don't know. I don't agree with what maybe Eric Erickson or Mike Johnson would say those virtues. But character ethics. Are. It's character ethics, right? Um, uh, but what the, the wager of the founders was that the government should not be in the business of prescribing or legislating either religious practice or those virtues. That the government should voluntarily abstain from what governments had often done. Certainly they were doing it in the colonizing countries of, mm -hmm. of the UK, right? For example, Spain or whatever. Um, government should withdraw from that arena and allow the formation of virtue and the advance of religion to be left to the people themselves privately and in their churches and in their missionary organizations and things like that. Disestablishmentarianism. Right. So the way we advance the law of god is by teaching it to our children not by teaching it to congress or having congress inscribe it as the law of the country now now it is true that the most important laws do have a moral base 
the reason there are laws against murder is because murder is wrong. But deontologically, murder is wrong. Um, you can say murder is wrong because God says so in the Bible, but you could also say murder is wrong on the on other bases because of of um, the extreme suffering and the all the violation of human rights and whatever. There's a lot of different ways to say it, or the damage to the community, right? So, but uh, we're really onto something important here. The polite form of authoritarian reactionary Christianity has lost confidence in, or never had confidence in, liberal democracy understood as a free people um, through the democratic process, determining what the law should be and how they will be governed in a context of, of religious and moral pluralism and living together in community, even if the results are not what any of us might like at a given time. Um, it's, we do not live, we do not live in the United States in a Christian constitutional republic. We live in a constitutional republic, but not a Christian constitutional republic. And um, our civil government is not based on God's law. It, it is based on the will of the people in accordance with the structure that we set up in our constitution. The people can't just legislate anything. It must pass constitutional tests. And um, so, so here we here we have the rub of people who are who are really attempting to revise the arrangements that were established in this country in 1789. So that's one kind of authoritarian reactionary Christianity. It's 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 a it's a, a battle of ideas, right? Um, but another kind of authoritarian reactionary Christianity is to get out the guns and the knives, um, and uh, and get ready to go to war. That's you might call it the civil war uh, type authoritarian reactionary Christians. Some of whom were present on January 6th. The Proud Boys were kind of like that. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, maybe there's another path too, which is kind of, okay, we won't rewrite the Constitution and take out the First Amendment. But we will elect somebody who will, in effect, weaken those protections and, in effect, establish an authoritarian Christian regime. Yeah, you could you could change the way it works without taking it away, right? The, and that's your or, that's your Orban solution, okay? Uh, essentially, we don't have to declare we don't have to declare what we're going for. We just effect what we're going for by the changes that we make. I was thinking about this last night. Um, kids are in bed, done with class, sitting on the sofa, thinking about like writing a novel, a courtroom procedural in this authoritarian, reactionary, <laughs> Christian democracy thing, republic, right? The Christian Federal Republic, where the uh, some big national court case, and it's ethicists and theologians instead of lawyers that have to do the work. Because <laughs> you have to be able to litigate scripture. Yeah. Well, you know, this is not entirely different from the cruder Reconstructionist movement, which I also mentioned in the book, 
that for decades has has argued on the fringe for how do we know what the law should be? Old Testament law. Stoning for adultery and homosexuality. Boom. Right. Of course, it had slavery, too, and a lot of other things that. Um, but, yeah, there were people, the Christian Reconstructionists, Gary North and so on. They argued that it is biblical law that should be U.S. law. Full stop. Um, That's that's still pretty fringy. But the proves this, they haven't read the Bible, too. Right. You Christian, can't do that. Yeah, Christian Constitutional Federal Republic. Civil government is based upon God's law, not the will of the people. So this would mean uh, that if the will of the people, say, is for abortion access, and our interpretation of God's law is that that is, a, that is murder, full stop, then one reason to overturn our political system is because it produces that outcome. We need to produce a political system where that outcome is not possible. Um, or gay marriage. Um, 2015, legalized nationally by the Supreme Court. A, a conservative-leaning Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. Like right now, Mafreesboro just passed an ordinance. Do you see this in Tennessee? No, what? It's illegal to be gay in public. Really? They got a decency law uh, reinstated. It looked like a nice thing. Like uh, they, they talked about like it was to strip um, anti-flasher kind of thing. We're going to beef that back up. But in the language of this thing they were reviving had homosexuality as an indecent behavior. Mm. And so you, they are already talking about how we can't, you may not. We just don't want you in front of our kids. Wow. Is the language like, just don't kiss in front of the kids. I don't want to have to talk to my kids about gay people. I see. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, maybe a place to lay in this episode is the inevitable result of, of what is being described here is the suppression of the rights and the violation of the dignity of a lot of our neighbors in the name of Christ, who stood with the marginalized. And authoritarian reactionary Christian regimes aim, or, or politics, aim to reverse the social changes since the 60s that they don't like. Among these are, how about uh, the feminist movement that gave us equality for women? And... Um, access to abortion and the acceptance of our LGBTQ sisters and brothers and friends as, as a part of the human family and a part of the nation, just like anybody else. Could you imagine um, a certain kind of authoritarian Christian regime going all in and say, uh, banning women from serving in the legislature? Because after all, Paul says women are not supposed to have authority over men. It was Eve who was deceived. Right. I remember when Sarah Palin was the vice presidential candidate in 2008 with McCain. There were Christians who were having how many angels can dance on the head of a pin debates over whether they should support Sarah Palin because, well, if she's vice president, she's under John. She would have been under John McCain's authority. So that's maybe OK, because a woman could lead as long as she's under a man's. 
covering authority. Have you ever heard that, heard that argument? Yeah, that's just beautiful um, language. Beautiful. Um, and But then what if McCain dies and Sarah Palin becomes president? Do you then have to withdraw your support because she would be the highest leader in the country and all that stuff? So imagine a Christian constitutional federal republic in which women are banned from exercising uh, the highest office of authority in any in any institution. Is that conceivable? Yes, it is conceivable because we all know, anybody who's listened to this podcast probably knows people who believe that that is God's plan. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so Paul gave so, us the picture with the umbrellas for a reason. Right, right. You know, that's right. Um, so I just don't want to live in that kind of country. I don't think Christians should be supporting that kind of politics. Um, and it's, it is a politics of domination of religious establishment of the violation of the separation of church and state and of all kinds of harm to everybody who is, who is, who's set to lose their, their liberties and their, their rights and the exercise of their humanity and of their gifts. So, um, you know, this chapter ends with, um, a line from a conservative Christian, a conservative writer named Matthew Continetti, who used to write for the Weekly Standard. It's a it's a devastating line. He says this, and actually Mitt Romney said something very similar to this recently. Uh, Many on the right embraced a cult of personality and illiberal tropes. The danger was that the alienation from and antagonism toward American culture and society expressed by many on the right could turn into a general opposition to the constitutional order. And that, I think, is what we're talking about. A general opposition to the constitutional order. America is not a perfect democracy, and we've talked and we'll talk more about all the ways it's not perfect. I'll tell you what, I'd rather have 1789 than the rule of the Christian uh, Caesars. No Mm -hmm. thanks. I don't, no thanks. That is what we're dealing with. I never thought we would be there. I've been in this business for a long time. This was never what the conversation was like. Um, and so we are in radical times and we have to deal with, with it um, and tell the truth about what's going on. Well, that's a good place to leave it. Thank you, David. Yeah. Thank you, Jeremy. I have enjoyed this a lot. When we um, come back, the next sort of movement of this podcast as we follow the book will be, if you're following along, it'll be chapters 12, 13, and 14, and we're going to shift into some more sort of big idea stuff, uh, talking about the Baptist tradition and the black church tradition, um, and what, what can we do? What does the church have to say into this moment? What are we equipped with? What have we done? What has been handed to us? And uh, maybe some good news. So I'm looking forward to it. And uh, we're glad to have you. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we're easy to find. We're on all the socials. Most of them aren't with even on burner accounts. We're easy to find. Um, Our websites are the same. They are our names, davidpgushy.com and revjeremyhall.com. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. We'll see you soon. This is Kingdom Ethics.